Let me slide in here real quick before we get started. I want to give a shout out to all the newest patrons. Thank you all so much for the support. For all those that have bought the comic book, the Cultus Mundi, and have signed up for the YouTube or the Patreon. Everything goes back into the show and it'll help me manifest myself breaking out of this matrix in order to bring more top tier, top level content for y'all. Thank you to Frank Einstein, John Merrillquinn. Thank you for upping your pledge. Benji Pantaleon. Thank you so much. Colton Collier. Cause DNB. Mario Garza from Symbolic Studies. Thank you for signing up, brother. Everybody go check out his stuff. Really great. SymbolicStudies.com. Appreciate him. Derek, thank you so much. Jennifer Plunk. Ramey. Muhammad. Matt. Zion Pharma. Gamma Rat. Aaron. Charles Milligan. And Yort. Thank you all so much for signing up for the Patreon. And shout out to all the people on the YouTube side as well that are YouTube subscribers, members of the channel. Also, make sure to get your copy of the June 2023 Paranormality Magazine. Yours truly is on the cover as it is the Florida edition and I am Florida's homuncologist, homunculist, whatever. Make sure to check that out. The link is in the show notes and use promo code TJOJP at checkout. Check that out. Cultus Mundi, TJOJP.com. Also, the new homunculus pamphlet will be out. So make sure to check out the Ko-Fi store. Link in the description. If you're listening to this, make sure to leave a five-star review. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy this episode. Later. Hello and welcome to the Horn One Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the One on One podcast with your host, Juan Ayala. So then that means that all the horned gods and all the horned imageries that we have, like, for example, for Hawthor, right, who has horns. So now that makes even more sense because horned goddesses were really could have been associated with cattle, like Hera is associated with cattle, like she's called a cow-eyed goddess. Hawthor is associated with a cow and Isis is associated with a cow. She's got the horns and the sun disc. And so I think for a long time, people see horns as a male symbol or a symbol of power, but now now, I wonder if horns were sort of a non-gendered symbol.
Welcome back to another episode of the One on One Podcast. I'm your host as always. Make sure to follow the show at the One on One Podcast on all social media platforms. All my links are at in the description, but the One on One Podcast.com, Patreon, Rockfin, all that good stuff. And today we are joined once again. I think we're I think three for three on on bangers of, of fire episodes. Yeah, I think we are. I think we are. We're, we're missing a third leg today, but he will will schedule another one so he can join us. That's Gabe. Shout out to Slick Dissident. But Carla, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm fantastic, Juan. Fantastic. I'm very excited about our topic and talking about all the things today. Yeah, yeah. And where can people find you if they want to f- read your book, if they want to buy your book, and also you have a great podcast and YouTube channel? Where can people find that? Okay, so uh, they can find me all over social media at Artemis Expert. Uh, my podcast is called The Goddess Project. So if you're interested in more of the goddess stuff that we're going to talk about today in like extensive detail, then you can find me on YouTube at The Goddess Project. And yes, please buy my book on Artemis. So that was published just last year. It's called Artemis She Who Hunts. And it's uh, kind of an academic slash non-academic collection of research on the Greek Artemis. Um, I've got a few coming up on different kinds of different Artemises in different places. Uh, But this one is the Greek Artemis. And yeah, there's various Artemis. Artemis. Is Is that how you would say that? Oh my God, Juan. (laughs) If I tell you, like, so right now I'm looking for a publisher um, because I have like four different ones in mind. So obviously Artemis of Ephesus, because we're going to Ephesus at the end of May. And then uh, there's Artemis in Italy and Sicily and Sardinia. And then there is this fantastic Artemis, same Artemis, but it's just different geographical spaces in like Bulgaria, Eastern Europe, which is where I'm from. Uh, and they've started discovering more and more of her like artifacts. So at least four different, let's say, books in the series of Artemis in order to get this goddess wow. to sort of understand this goddess in, in, in her whole entirety. I mean, that's pretty amazing. And I know you're a professor, Carla, and you're a scholar, an academic. It, I've always thought about this just as a regular old guy of <laughs> why symbolism exists, why mythologies exist, why we're even talking about this even till this day, 2023. We're talking about things that, as far as we know, right, the oldest, the oldest piece of literature it goes back to the Epic of Gilgamesh. You have, I believe it's Inanna in that one where she needs yep. to, and you have Isis and you have all these different goddesses and gods as well. And today we're going to be getting, this episode's going to be a little bit horny, no pun intended. We're going to talk about <laughs> <laughs> horn gods and goddesses. Well, I want to focus on the goddesses and we can throw in the gods okay. in there just to get some, right? Because you talk a lot about the feminine, the divine feminine and all that goodness. Yes. And, yes. but the why we have symbols, why we have gods. Have you ever thought about that? What's your ideas on why we have any of this to begin with and why people were personifying? Do you think it was archetypes? Do you think it was actually they wanted to put a face to an energy they were feeling? Or do you think that they were actually seeing these entities? What are your ideas on that? Because I've always thought about that. I think that's a really interesting question. And I don't know, I don't know that I have like a perfect answer. But I think I know sort of a chronology in the sense like archetypes, you know, are much later categorizations, right? Um, So if we do symbols, let's say we do symbols, because some of the earliest 
art that we have are symbols like on cave paintings and stuff. And interestingly, relating to our talk today, um, there's a lot of like bull imagery or horn imagery. And then one of the earliest symbols that we have is the inverted triangle, which is the pubic triangle. And that's so let's assume that humans have been on the planet for 100,000 years. For 90,000 or more of those years, they worshipped a female or a divine feminine. So some type of a feminine divinity. They usually thought it was earth or in the earth or whatever. And then after a while, they started looking to the sky and they had this combination of like sky and earth, right? Sort of like that fertility. And then we have a lot of bull imagery. And then we have a lot of like bull fertilizing the land kind of imagery, right? So why does this... Yes, yes, yes. We talked about this inverted triangle once, right? Because I think, was it Gabe that said it was, it's also the alchemy symbol of water? Yeah, so this is water and then the inversion of that. So the upright triangle is right. fire. So that would be the masculine, right. the phallic. And so they upward. used to paint these on caves, right? Like the the upside down one. They used to paint them as caves in, on caves as the entrance back into the womb. So what's really fascinating one is like early peoples were obsessed with where you are or what's happening while you're in the womb and they were obsessed with like getting back into the womb kind of thing to connect to i think the some of us are still obsessed with that um. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really because i feel like today we've kind of switched that you know we think a lot about the afterlife rather than where we were before life kind of thing and then i really think that symbols are just like language you know, basic language. And so anyone anywhere would know what an inverted triangle was. And so then that gets passed down. And if you're traveling, like if you're a nomadic group, uh, which everyone was, nomad, all humans were nomadic, and you left a triangle somewhere or you left a symbol of a tree or whatever symbol, everyone could recognize it. So it becomes really language of communication. And then if I, you know, the more complicated question that you ask about the gods, part of me thinks that they may have seen or had connections to the other side that perhaps we now, because of all the sort of Christian and monotheistic stuff we've been under, we now see more as like woo-woo stuff, you know, woo-woo stuff. Um, they must have felt something because one, like how did they know about ley lines before we did? right? How do they know about all of these? Right. Right. The Anunnaki's are fascinating. That's why I think we're so fascinating with fascinated with them. Although I'm not sure that they were carrying around batteries in that image of uh, what's his name, <laughs> carrying around batteries. Yeah, it's a little satchel, you mean? Yeah. So some people go, oh, those were batteries recording things. I'm not sold on that. However, look at the symbolism. I mean, that is complex. I mean, we've got the wheel. Yeah, right? the bulls here too, right? With the horns and the... Right, right. Um, yeah, look at that. And then we've got the scales, of course, of both dragons and snakes and... You have the star uh, here. And the stars, yep. Um, like, and of course, we've got, obviously, the crown for royalty. Um yeah, so much of that. I don't know what's coming out of his hand. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, that's the, I do know what's coming out of his hand, but now I can't remember what it's called. Um, so yeah, but 
either way, this this whole image is full of imagery, right? And they got the horned dog here with the dragon yeah. or something or other. Yeah, yeah. Or or they used to talk about like the horned serpent too. Um, I don't know if you ever seen a horned serpent, but yeah. A Quetzalcoatl isn't that? Oh, the feathered serpent, kind of, sort of. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Now the dates are kind of interesting, right? Because, I mean, one of the things that I find that people kind of combobulate is that they stick all these things together, right? So I saw this mm -hmm. guy on TikTok. I don't I remember who it was, who was talking about like uh, Noah was really some Sumerian Atrahasis, dude. yeah, et cetera. Yeah, et cetera. something like that. And, and, and so I'm like, I mean, we got to get the dates right. We got to get the cultures right. It's not mm -hmm. so easy to just throw stuff together. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I do feel a bit like we combobulate things without like the scholar in me comes out. And I replied on the TikTok. I'm like, OK, dude, but let's 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 go over the math here and let's go over the geographical space. But and why is that, though, Carla? Because okay, you're, you're mentioning something very important that we're seeing these same characters throughout various cultures, throughout various countries, throughout various regions of the world, this mm -hmm. same archetype. So Atrahasis, the original Noah, was yeah. syncretized with the, you know, Enoch and Noah and all these other ones from later on. Now, is is that, because this is what I've always wondered, is that plagiarism from a later religion trying to copy and bring over the pagans over to their their religion right like hey listen you you worship that god well he's a saint in our pantheon so that means you can come right you come over to our side or is that that they were seeing their own because i've always found that interesting so i mean okay i don't know that there is any direct evidence that noah and the uh, is what's his name his name doesn't say but you said it ultra hastens so, yeah, so the story not yes. the actual character but the story itself okay so we have a lot of flood characters because, you know, there's this belief that at some point there was always floods around. Right. So I guess what I'm what I would think it is, is a type of cultural uh, unintentional cultural appropriation. And by that, I mean, the stories are in the culture. They're powerful. They're well known. And so, yes, like when the Hebrews start putting together their Bible, they need to pull, they need to do two things, right? They need to pull stories that attract people. But don't forget, the Hebrews are not interested in getting people to join their, their group, okay? They actually are just interested in saying, this is our group. No one else is part of our group. This is how we differentiate ourselves. We follow Yahweh. We are circumcised, blah, blah, blah. So the fact that then they have a flood story, I mean, I don't know, I guess in that way you have to kind of make up your own mind. Is it because it was a popular story and so they attached their Yahweh to a story that was already in the community? Mm -hmm. Maybe. It is also why they bat, they use the snake as the devil. Or not, they don't actually use it as a devil, but as a cunning animal because they um, the snake goddesses were so powerful for the Canaanites. The Hebrews grew up around the Canaanites or came up around the Canaanites. And so by bashing the snake, you're really bashing your neighbor that doesn't believe in your faith kind of thing. And you're really separating yourself. You're saying, we don't worship this. That's why throughout the, the Hebrew Bible, they talk so much about stop worshiping Asherah, stop worshiping, things like that. So it's like a political situation more than anything. So you got to do two things. You got to attract or create a God that's really powerful and at the same time, you got to separate yourself so that people know we are not the Canaanites. We are, you know, the Hebrews in this case. So 
I don't know why they took a, maybe they had a flood story too in their area because you know how much in that fertile crescent, there were so many floods, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And if a flood devastates your entire community, you think it's the world, right? Like yeah. you'd say it's the world, but you know, we know it's not the world. I don't know. And then this Noah figure, a hero figure, you got to explain how come we're still here. If God flooded the world, (laughs) how are we, let's say, as the Hebrews, God's chosen, still here? Oh, well, we had Noah. So, but I don't know how, because they're so far, they're about 2,000 years apart, if not more. I don't know how much of the Sumerian story survived. I mean, the Gilgamesh story did survive through the Babylonians and so on and so on. So You're saying you don't know how much of it was from either plagiarism or not plagiarism let me reward that right. from from or borrowed let's say or from yeah borrowing right. or or you you know for embellishment or whatever or if it was yeah. actually because you do bring up a good point how would they have known unless they had the records which that would be a whole another debate and that and sometimes that's what i don't like about history because you'll have especially in this community you have where you have alternative history where people go, oh, these were the true people. These were the f- real true people. Oh, no, no, no. These were the other real true people. And then you get like race involved and it gets really messy yeah. when at the yeah. end of the day, we probably won't ever know 100 yeah. percent unless you have a time machine. If you had a time yeah. machine, Carla, where would you go? If, oh, my God. Where would you go? Like if you had oh one chance. One chance. One. That's it. Just one. Oh, no. Ah. Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. And you'd have to know. give up your eyebrows too. Once you went, like you had, you'd have no more eyebrows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you go? I could sacrifice eyebrows. One. Um. I. I don't know. So it would have to be somewhere in Artemis culture for sure. But I think that I would go to the Minoans. Mm. I think I would go pre-Greek Minoans. All the way back when they were flourishing in the island of Crete. So what, 3,500 to 5,000 years ago, I would go. Um, because time, it's a beautiful space. They were ma- they were really, really uh, flourishing. Women and men were sort of egalitarian. Yeah, look at that. They did the bull leaping. Women and men did this bull leaping as well as a sport. Um, they had sun and sea. And they worshiped the goddess, as you can see. Um, They had beautiful structures. A very, actually, um, it's funny because I just did this interview with a Minoan expert. Her name is Laura Perry. And she's talking about how they actually may have been a less classist society than we're led to believe. We have women warriors here. I mean, that's that's a woman. Yeah. So she blew my mind, actually, um, in this interview because I studied the cre- in the snake goddess obviously for a long time but she's a real like she's an old school expert you know what i mean mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that she was saying about the way the minoans built their their um compounds and stuff like that it's fascinating so i think as far as weather the rights of women food and the bulls um i think yeah i'd go back to the minoans but that's not as far as i think we we are original i mean the Sumerians, of course, predate them by some time. Well, these, yeah. these are an old people, 3,520 BC. Wow, that's they are, they are. And then they had sort of a bit of a decline, and then they were taken over by the Mycenaeans, and then they became, you know, so called Greek. I mean, that's Greek is a 
complicated term, but, mm-hmm. um, and then that's where you get the story of Theseus and the Minotaur. Really Theseus oh. and the Minotaur is the story of the Mycenaeans or the Athenians taking over powerful Crete. Um, and this dude, yeah, the bulls. Now she was telling me because she raised bulls. So she was telling me actually one that bulls are kind of like dogs. Like if you raise them from small, cows are like, yeah, I have cows. They're, they're listen like to you and stuff and yeah. to do, you know, that they actually can be really easily that they're like really loving, soft animals. So like when they were doing the bull leaping, the bull was a participant, like like a circus kind of thing almost mm-hmm. in the athletics. Not like the way we think about bull riding today, like with cowboys and shit, um, where they have to like strap the bull's balls and yeah. like, you know, kind of torture him a bit so he can get pissed off. Um, and so, but of course they also sacrificed bulls um, mm-hmm. to the goddess, to the snake goddess in particular, but also to Ariadne. So, and the horns actually, and, and actually one thing that we didn't, I didn't know because I, I didn't grow up on a farm was that cows, especially in Minoan times in the old, uh, ancient world, cows also have really long horns. Yeah. Cows? So someone cows. Yeah. Like female cows. Like, yeah. And someone had commented on my video. Um, I think it was on the horn goddess that apparently even today they cut them or something they cut them short and then they like filed them so it depends depends on which cow so the highlanders both males and females have enormous horns see in ancient times all cattle had horns interesting okay so there so of course it would make sense that the cows that we have today are gmo uh, of course (laughs) genetically modified yeah and in ancient times all cattle had horns wow okay so then that means that all the horned gods and all the horned imageries that we have, like, for example, for Hawthor, right, who has horns. So now that makes even more sense because horned goddesses were really could have been associated with cattle. Like Hera is associated with cattle. Like she's called a cow-eyed goddess. And Hawthor is associated with a cow. And Isis is associated with a cow. She's got the horns and the sun disk. Um, and so... I think for a long time, people see horns as a male symbol or a symbol of power. But now I wonder if horns were sort of a non-gendered symbol. Uh, Bulls, of course, are a symbol of masculinity, no doubt about that. But cows with horns were symbols of uh, fertility, nourishment, you know, in case of the case of Hawthor is... what do you call it? Um, milk, right? Nourishing milk and all that kind of stuff. She was said to have fed all the pharaohs. Mithras, yeah, the cult of Mithras. I mean, you know, the cult of Mithras has such a powerful impact on mm-hmm. modern humanity. And you're making me think now with this the horn cow, mm-hmm. which would be female, mm-hmm. but in this one, the bull has the testicles that the scorpion is nipping at. So. You have that aspect of it. And then I came across this not too long ago from a friend of mine, this Turabalum, where it's like you were bathed in the blood of the sacrificed bull or cow. And this was done during the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, that's a, a, that's uh, harkens back to a Greek. Oh, wow. uh, Because Kybeli, right? Uh, Harkens back to a, uh, an old, even pre-Greek tradition of uh, bull's blood or cow's blood. No, okay, so 
I'm thinking that bulls, male bulls are more likely to be sacrificed for like, let's say blood bathing in a sense, because female cows, even with horns were often of course used for reproduction and milking. So female cows would be sacrificed when they were no longer, you know, capable of right. Uh, but young male bulls are a symbol of fertility and power. And mm -hmm. so depending on which festival they were doing back in the day, depending what the god or goddesses wanted, that's what you would offer up, right? Uh, but female cows with horns are often venerated, while male, cow, male uh, bulls are often slaughtered and killed. Um, so that's an interesting thing. So we can start with... I know you and your video, you started with the right, the gold statue god. You go yes. the horn goddess, the the gold statue goddess, and you started yes. with the. Let me pull up a picture of it here, because yeah. you got to remember, Carla, and and I know you're not in the conspiratorial realm, but <laughs> I remember when this came out. I know people were going crazy because you got to understand that a majority of people in society nowadays especially with conspiracy being mainstream we all we all know what happened in 2020 and all that stuff and a lot of people thought that they were that they were proved correctly because of everything that happened etc cetera, etc cetera, right we're still kind of right. living in that but a majority of the population believes that these elites and by elites i mean the bankers royal families the the richest of the rich forbes yeah. 100 and those that aren't on the forbes 100 are worshiping otherworldly entities and essentially they are that's the definition of a pagan right when you worship something other than what the mainstream is so you're mm -hmm. worshiping something outside of that which is fine right that that's okay mm -hmm. but they believe that they are pagan so when they put something up like this to a lot of people this could be interpreted as demonic right to them because again it just it's it looks unorthodox, Carla, is what I'm getting at. It looks very Lovecraftian, in my opinion. <laughs> um so okay. I okay. So I agree with you on a couple of fronts. I certainly agree with you that the elite are in a world of their own. Um, and I don't mind at all the idea that they worship who knows who, I don't know who and what they do. There there definitely is depravity at the top, let's say that. Yes. Yeah. I don't know that that's even really a conspiracy. I think most people believe that. And then from there, maybe there's other things. Yes. But the thing actually, it was in finding this. So I was looking for a gold statue of Artemis, which is in New York City. And I just Googled like gold statue in New York City, not thinking there was anything else. And then when I saw this, uh, my first reaction one was, oh my God, this is a stunning piece of symbolism. Okay. Like I just thought she was so awesome. And then in my search, all I saw was satanic goddess, satanic goddess, satanic goddess, or satanic statue. And I thought, oh my God, what the hell? What's satanic about her? Imagine that I did not even notice what's satanic about her, okay? Because <laughs> you're more open-minded <laughs> than most, but any everybody on my feed when this came out was like, yo, they put a Baphomet statue, blah, 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 <laughs> this and that, which again... I yeah. believe, my personal opinion, you can do whatever happens between two consenting adults. So yeah. be it. I, my problem is with the kids, right? When they start dragging kids into it and doing all that stuff. That's my problem with it. 
But of course. you can worship Cthulhu for all I care. If you want to worship this golden, what did she name it? What, what does she even name it? Well, it's three names. There's three statues. Yeah. So, but the thing is that I don't think that she had any satanic or even demonic or even, to be honest, even horned God. I mean, I might be stretching the ram goddess because I think she did the hair in a ram style. But that ram divinity is like so that symbol of a ram is so powerful from like ancient egypt right from amun and so i do think that this symbol is a rebellion symbol against you know things like abortion laws and the rights of women and things like that like i think that she is making a revolutionary statement but i don't but that statement to me is not demonic in any way it's more like um trying to encompass sort of the nature and nurture of the female body right mm-hmm. um and she does talk about there's a bunch of interviews with her where she talks about how she is trying to make like a stat like a statement of like revel- that's why she's she gives her that ruth ginsburg um collar around her mm-hmm. neck right um so she's making i would say she's making a feminist statement if we were using a, a word it's definitely a, a pro-feminist statement but um, I didn't see the Satan part. I was like, what, what is the Satan part? So then I realized that people meant her hair, like the, the, the way her hair is done in um, looks like ram's horns, I guess. Um, and so then I was like, okay, but ram's horns, I mean, Zeus has a ram's horn head when he's Zeus Amon. And uh, Amun is a ram from Egypt and he was a very famous god and it has nothing to do with, um, with demons or anything. <laughs> So that's when I started. That's when I went on my quest. I was like, okay, I need to go to New York City. I need to see this. And so there's three. There's this one, which is really pretty. Like she has this skirt around um, and she's standing. She's like. Has wheels on on a shopping cart be like. And they always got that one wheel. At least (laughs) I always see. It looks like something you'd see at a satanic ritual. Okay, so this person. Why does she have tentacles? All right. So I want to address this real quick because it seems that every time I go to the store. I always, no matter what, and I'll pick like the most random cart. I always pick the one that is messed up with the wheel that. I hate that. Same, same, same. All right. So it looks like something satanic. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And this is, excuse my ignorance, but this is who? I know this has to do with abortion. Supreme Court judge, right? The feminist Supreme Court judge. But even she deserves. The one that's on top of the appellate court. Bizarre so our RB, RBG was a feminist Supreme Court judge that passed away, I think, last year. Oh, the- let me pull her up. So they yeah. did the statue in honor of her. No, they did the thing around her neck. Uh, she wore a specific collar. You know how judges have to wear and you see how she wears the lace collar? Yes. So she is a very pro-feminist, uh, very, um, I, I don't know which of your liberal parties. It kind of liberal- looks like her, though. I mean, the- liberals. Um, yeah, so she's very pro. So she, and she wore this collar. So she gave the statue a similar collar in honor of her. Mm-hmm. Not that the statue this is Ruth Ginsburg, uh, RBG. Yeah, exactly. Not that the statue represents RBG at all, but more like because RBG stood, um, she was um, pro light, pro choice, pro choice. Um, so she was saying, 
I gave her this collar in honor, but the statue itself, the whole statue is not RBG. It's a, mm. it's a creation, right? It's a, it's a, like a complex sort of female symbolism. Um, and so I think when people saw that collar, they went, oh, this is a statue of RBG and it's satanic. <laughs> you should uh, not only remove, but publicly destroy this monster. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, when I read some of these, like I didn't want to like troll somebody. I did troll some of them um, just for fun. But I didn't want to troll all of them because some of it, I'm like, dude, she's on a lotus. Uh, it's just, it, there's not even, you know, and it's barely even like a sexual statue in the sense that she has no real definition other than like curves. She doesn't have any, you know. Um, I think people really got, and I, I don't know who people are, that, but I think they got really, um, they saw the hair. They went in on it, though. And they, they did. They really, they really... Um, they were really disturbed. And I mean, art is supposed to be disturbing. So I think that Shahiza really did a great job disturbing people's uh, comfort zone. That's what art's supposed to do. Is that a good thing, though? That's not always a good thing. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a good thing in this case. I think because, it, look, it's causing us to talk about things. Um, and we don't have to agree, but we're talking about it. So mm -hmm. that's still something. Um, I would totally have one of these in my backyard. I'm just telling you right now, Juan. Uh, I actually tagged Shahiza and I was like, I don't know what happens because in June these are removed because it's just an art exhibit, right? They're not there permanently. Um, and so in June, they're all getting removed and I guess wherever they're going. And I'm like, um, if you're like, just want to donate one to a, you know, broke scholar that is in love with the goddess. <laughs> please, please give me one of these. Well, there's two of them. And then there's the one on Snapchat. Um, basically, you have to have Snapchat and you, you know, it's like a filter and you turn it towards the park. And then the same kind of goddess, you could put it on your shoulder or whatever, take a picture with her or whatever. Um but it was really cool. But a lot of people did comment when I posted the pictures on my Instagram and the little videos. They were like, why does she have tentacle arms? You know? Um, yeah. So I think that they really thought Cthulhu in that. But so for me, when I saw the arms, I think of them not as tentacles, but like as vines. So when you see her, I don't know if you have any pictures, but I have a picture of her legs. The one Because you actually saw it in person. I mean, for those I that did, are wondering, you actually went to see it in person. I did. And there's pictures of me standing beside it and stuff uh, on my Instagram. But um, the big one, because obviously the one on top of the appellate courthouse, you can only see from the bottom unless you know somebody that lives like across or I don't know what's across. So we couldn't get in there. So I took pictures from the bottom um up but it's basically like you just saw in that meme like a bunch of like marble statues of dudes and then this gold statue of a woman so i think she did that again to really stand out and really kind of add color and she's standing on a red lotus flower so lotus flowers represent enlightenment so she put this goddess figure or this female figure on top of a lotus flower to talk about sort of enlightenment um, especially around the rights of women and things like that. So I thought that was kind of genius. Um, I don't know what kind of legs. Oh, thanks. So uh, yeah, for those I, that are listening, go first of all, go subscribe <laughs> to Carla's channel. Look at look at that beautiful pause right there. And the thanks, Goddess Mom. Project podcast. Go check her thanks. out. Go show some love. And thanks. the you have two two Instagrams. You have the Artemis Expert, and then you have the Goddess Project. The Goddess yeah. Project podcast, right? Yeah, 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 which is all like podcast stuff. 
Um, but in one of, see in this photo, yeah, okay. You can see her legs on the bottom and then on, so I always thought that those are vines. She doesn't say what those are. Like mm -hmm. Shahiza doesn't say what those are, but um, it looks like those are reaching for the ground. Um, and those are, you know, so, and so I always think about it like a tree, right? Like she's representing basically life. So the roots go into the ground and roots go outwards. So I thought that was a kind of cool imagery. I mean, I don't know if they're tentacles. I don't know why it doesn't make more sense for the feet for me, the tentacles. I was like, but people were like, yeah, her feet really make me uncomfortable. Um, Honestly, this whole thing makes me uncomfortable, Carla. I'll be honest. It, just, it gives me a very, very cosmic, like I said, Cthulhu Lovecraftian-esque. And I mean, this goes all the beliefs that I have as far as like the occult and everything, I think statues yeah. play a very big role. Even the, the episode that I released today yeah. was on how well, that's the Snapchat filter thing. Yeah. Homunculi, homunculi, the lure of it could also be a statue. The the ancient Egyptians had the opening of the mouth ceremony where they were where they would animate statues at times to prophesize yes. to them. So I think that statues and not only that, but when you think of the concept of this statue right now, who it was supposedly giving homage to right who was giving this nod to and then everybody charging it with their attention like how we're doing how we're doing right now yeah. as far as this whole thing goes that's part of the quote-unquote ritual as from everything that i've studied as far right. as the occult goes and uh, right. the occult goes and who are these other people up here these other figures oh so, they're supposed to be figures so i think is one this of the them skinned that's that guy that they skin like, they're like greek they're like greek philosophers basically or philo men philosophers uh, I don't remember. I knew when I was in New York who they were, but now I forgot. But I'm sure someone listening to us can tell us who they are. Uh, but they're either Greek philosophers or philosophers. They're like these male philosophers. Um, I think you're right. I, I agree with you 100% in the power of statues. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, I just don't see her as threatening. And I don't know if that's a male-female thing between us in, the, in that way or if it's just <laughs> I'm so used to powerful female. Like I want... I would love for her figure to be yeah. energized with yeah. like our, which I'm sure it is also like our revolutionary. So I guess I see her as a revolutionary figure. So I'm okay with her. I actually see her as taking down the elite. Mm. And I think Shahazi means her in that way, yeah. as in the, the patriarchal males, let's say in court that make decisions. So whoever that hierarchy is, whoever those guys are at the top, I think this, statue is meant to challenge them and their authority mm. so if if we are energizing the statue with our attention i guess for me that's not a bad thing because i do want the elite to be taken down uh will they be taken down by a goddess whose hair looks like rams yeah i don't care i don't care i don't give a shit take them down yeah. you know um so i think that's I think you're I think we agree on those things. I just see her as a positive symbol of power and revolution versus maybe some people seeing her as uh, a representative from the top down. I see her representing from a bottom up kind mm -hmm. of thing. And oh, that could be because your next thing was satanic or divine. I was I always grew up with, again, very religious household. Anything that wasn't of the church was demonic or satanic. And I think what you're getting at here, as far as you see it one way, you see it as a powerful figure, how other people probably see it differently. But maybe what if that, what if that is, because you and I have talked about it before, the plan of these quote unquote elites to pervert 
the divine feminine feminine mm-hmm. and extract it from history because essentially that's what they've done since the beginning of time they mm-hmm. have eliminated the divine from the equation so it's no longer the holy trinity with the divine mother goddess in there that mother spirit no it's it's all masculine the three the father the son and the holy spirit was well, the holy spirit feminine no 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 it's not right it's right. it's supposed to also it's also him <laughs> right 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 i agree with you um i agree with you on on what you're saying there um i just yeah i don't know i guess my only disagreement with you there is i don't think the elites i don't know i think this would bother the elites uh the statue um i think it's that's why i mean it's not permanent so they're going to take it down um and i think shahiza means it as a symbol against the elites so but i mean we never know what goes on behind the scenes clearly mm-hmm. um and you could be right you could be right um can we consider the statue of liberty horned a horned goddess i mean she's you know she really is hecate right um I mean, if you look up Hecate, even the three body, the three faces and three body Hecate, she is pretty much holding a torch, wearing a halo. So, I mean, there's no doubt that the Statue of Liberty is Hecate. Yeah. Really? I mean, the French really uh, used, she's got the book in her hand and she's got the torch in her hand and the most archaic figure. Actually, Artemis also has a torch in the ancient world. So torture, of course, light in the darkness, you know, the symbol uh, knowledge, right? Light in, in the ignorant knowledge versus ignorance, this kind of stuff. But yeah, there's lots of work done as the Statue of Liberty as Hecate, no doubt about it, um, that it's inspired, the French were inspired by by Hecate. And so I, w- I don't know if you would consider the halo a horn. There has been some debate that... For example, Celine and other moon goddesses, they have a little crescent moon on their heads or sometimes they have a halo. And some people do call them horned goddesses. But I don't, it's up, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's very clearly, I think, a halo. They also said it was Libertas, which is another Roman goddess of freedom, which, but right? I see more of a resemblance to Hecate than, than I do Absolutely. to this this goddess quote unquote and then i've also seen this one which we talked about before yes. the colossus of Rhodes and uh, he- helios i believe it was and yes well helios comes much you know two thousand years after hecate and so like so if we go back to the earliest symbol that carries a torch and has this kind of a halo hecate is i mean the earliest i I'm, i don't think i'm trying to think if there's anyone else before her that wears that crown and, and that representation. And, uh, and I don't think there is. And have well, you yeah, seen, Helios later takes it. Have you seen this one in Russia? The motherland calls statue. Have you seen this one? This is also one of the biggest statues in the world as well. No, I've never seen it. Like I've never seen it live. I've seen these images. Yes. Um, notice though, interestingly, she's not holding a torch, nor is she, um, uh, what do you call it? Wearing a halo. I get it. Totally. Oh, this I would say is much more of a warrior um, depiction, because liberty really is a fight for liberty. You know what I'm saying? I think this one really talks about this, the fight for liberty. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's. I mean, it's a powerful statue still, but I still think the Statue of Liberty is way more powerful 
And there's wow. this other I was because oh, I, I was looking at different statues, and there's this other one that was like way bigger. Of what? Who's that? Gandhi? Some guy. It's this. Let's see here. I'm sorry. Not <laughs> some. <laughs> I say some guy, but some guy Dude. to me. So it's an Indian statesman and independence activist, and I can't say his oh. name. Vallabha. Yeah. Vallabhai Patel. I don't know yeah. who this is, but Patel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean. So this is a historical figure. So I don't know if that really falls into our category, but that is a mass statue. It's huge. I mean, it's ginormous. Massive. It's seven hundred and ninety feet. Wow. Compared to the Statue of Liberty, I can't even imagine the structuring of that statue. Well, it doesn't. So I, I was looking up like the different, and it doesn't really look like it's it look almost like it's made up paper mache and then inside of it is uh, is a, is a, a museum dedicated. inside of it yeah holy crap yeah this is wow. inside the complex this wow. is the whole thing in there but yeah That's was, very cool. i came across this the other day and apparently it's a real thing i mean i was like wow but it looks like you see it's like almost looks like yeah. it's paper mache yeah in a way it's like some weird yeah that is really interesting like panels and stuff yeah i'm saying paper mache but i'm sure it's something else yeah 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 no for sure but yeah that's fascinating that's amazing although like you know since he's a real person then i don't know that there's any symbolism other than really just mm. who he is right yeah. so i don't know that we can um and so and so yeah like the other one that you had was the buddha which is obviously the buddha and then we've got the other symbols of uh, Statue of Liberty. So, yeah, but Statue of Liberty is definitely Hecate. Now, the irony one, I don't know if the irony or the coincidence is that actually Hecate is referred to as the horned goddess. Really? Like the OG horned goddess? Yeah. So let's look her up. And she is also the god. Who am I thinking of? The, the, the cross goddess of witchcraft. Yeah. Oh, shit. Goddess okay. of the crossroads. But she, you know, you got to think about witchcraft for the Greeks was really about pharma, like pharmakeia, right? Like pharmacy, like witchcraft was not the way we have been so poisoned um, in the way we think about witchcraft today that it is so hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that witches were more like shamans and priestesses. That is, they could, they could poison you, but they could heal you too. Um, and so... Like I, when I went to Salem now, you know, just now during the break, um, I find that I'm trying to think how to say this, but I find that the, um, it's going to sound really bad, no matter how you put it. Representation <laughs> of witchcraft is very devil worshipy. Like there's a very deep and long association as out of Puritan culture, I guess, who first came to Salem and all that kind of stuff with witches and devil the devil it's so deeply ingrained in the culture that it's like we're stuck like you know we're stuck in the 1400s and we can't move past that wall like two three thousand years back to see when witches were actually celebrated as like i don't want to say they were they were not benevolent beings but they were not demonic beings mm -hmm. let's put it that way and so I find it really hard. Like when we were in Salem, there was a lot of satanic imagery. There was a lot of Baphomet, which which we talked about earlier. That's today. in Massachusetts, right? Uh, Salem, yes, correct. Um, so there was a lot of that, and I mean, I love it. It was a lot of fun, and and everybody was so great. 
but like a my scholar side was like guys you know there's there's more to this symbolism like let's go back further um and uh so it does sometimes bug me a bit how how much it's associated with demons and people just go oh yeah well that's demonic and i'm like but it's not. Somebody just said it was demonic. It's fiction. Mm. Do you know that I told my students last week, uh, you know, I teach at York and uh, I was telling them that the devil's a fiction. And of course they were all like, what? I go, no, devil's like Christian fan fiction, you know? Uh, and uh, and we had a whole like two hour, you know, I have a two hour lecture um, on this idea that actually somebody just invented this shit mm -hmm. during the Christian dark ages and started like associating all these gods with demonic things. And even Hecate, for example, she, you know, in Macbeth and stuff, she's made into this evil witch. And it's funny that what the heck? So her animals are the dog, which obviously we know like yeah. the, the dog that that's weird. The dog. Right? So Cerebrus, right? Cerebrus is the guardian of the underworld. And then a pole cat. What is a I don't polka? What, I don't. I, I don't know. It's a fair. Isn't that a? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't use Wikipedia every time. <laughs> so I like. I like. To, <laughs> I like to use. I like to use Wikipedia because it's like the tip, like the 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 exoteric. You know what I'm saying? I agree. I mean, he does. There is on the bottom there. There is like snakes or serpents too, because that is a big one for her. And what else? And then yeah. we have, and now, now this was interesting. Or Oresh Kagal, which is Mesopotamia, and this yes. is the goddess. I believe her sister is the one that goes into the underworld and hey, needs, to, needs to strip off seven pieces of clothing, That's which right. is the seven number seven, the seven Elohim, et cetera, et cetera. That's Ishtar. Yep. So, okay, and then we know how you're saying the crossroads. The devil yep. makes deals at the crossroads. So again, this is way, you know, 2000 years later, people go, oh, yeah, that's the devil that does it. And it's like, uh, no, you just made that up. You just so, said that. So sacred animals, dogs were closely associated with Hecate in the classic world. In art uh -huh. and in literature, Hecate is constantly, constantly represented as a dog shaped or as accompanied by a dog. Her approach mm -hmm. was heralded by a howling of a dog. The dog was Hecate's regular sacrificial animal and was often eaten in solemn sacrament. Interesting. Mm -hmm, the sacrifice mm -hmm. of dogs to Hecate is attested for Thrace. So, but if you look up like uh, Hecate, horned goddess, doesn't show here the reference, but there uh, Homer calls her a horned goddess. I think it's Homer or Hesiod. Um, so I don't know if we have to go back to. I see that you're going back here to Greece and Athens. So you said who they call her? Who? The horned goddess. Let's see here. Let's see what comes up. It's. And it's She's weird a because goddess too, right? She's a Catholic goddess. It's funny because a dog's a man's best friend, right? <laughs> and I suppose they were even back then, to be fair. Uh, so historical. So we would go archaic, period, classical. Yeah, we can do archaic period. or classical. Um, but I don't know if they pulled a quote of her. Um, Hesiod, classical, like antiquity. I can look it up. You said it was Homer. Yeah. I think it's Homer that calls her the horned goddess. Homer or or Hesiod. So um, in one of the hymns. And so people say that the horn may refer to the half moon because she's also a moon goddess. 
Mm. Um, but it's unclear. That's just a guess because we don't have. Um, okay, so like in the pre-Greek world, goddesses and gods were often represented by just a piece of wood. Okay, like I, I'm doing this. So my next week's episode is on Hera. Okay, by a piece of wood. And there, and then the so Hera predates the Greeks, and as does Hecate and Artemis and all the others, and. In the earliest forms of worship, the goddesses were a piece of wood. Sometimes it was a sculpted piece of wood and sometimes just a piece of wood. And so it's very hard to, and when the, when we move into the classical period, we start beginning to have more statues or the, even the archaic periods, we start to have more statues. Then we have better statues. And we move into the Romans, we have beautiful statues, all this kind of statues. But in their initial phases, they were often represented as a piece of wood or a standing pole, something that's not very uh, human-like. And so it's very hard for us to know when they call her a horned goddess in the earliest period. Are they referring to the moon on her head that comes later when they're depicting her? Or are they referring, or did they put the moon on her head because they read Homer who said horned goddess, but maybe Homer had meant literal horns of a cow or cattle. So there's some gaps there in our actual material culture, material evidence. Obviously wood doesn't survive very long, so we don't have, um, there is, for example, like one piece of wood sculpture of Artemis of Baron, but literally, I mean, it's just a piece, like you just look at it and you're like, this is just a piece of wood. But they venerated because they did not worship statues like the way we just talked about at the beginning of the episode where people think that statues actually embody the energy or the God. That that was like a different cultural kind of worship. The Egyptians did do that where they believe that the God, can, there was people that can pull the God into the statue for a period of time. Yes. Yeah. And then that they, right? Mm-hmm. But the pre-Greeks, you know, depends who they might be, right? Um, they didn't really do that. And so they they venerated any, any like standing thing that took the place of the god, they venerated it. They thought, okay, this is a celebration of the divine and the divine is here with us. I can't find that quote. I'm trying to find it. Maybe it was in Homer. Because I'm putting Homer and Hecate. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Uh, it's not coming up with that. But that's interesting. So it was, and I'm trying to find the piece of wood. So it was literally a piece of wood, like a like a stick. I think it's him to Hecate. Uh, yeah, like like a, a like a real piece of wood. Oh, my God. Theo has like a bunch of, um, I'm going to find it for you somewhere. Yeah, the hymn to the Orphic hymn to Hecate is, is. Let me see if nope. I have it pulled up here. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Let's see if I can find horned on it. But no. for sure it is 
Okay, hold on. Maybe it's no, but this is all Pinterest. This is why I hate the internet sometimes. <laughs> because trying to find like a primary source on the internet is like digging through like a bunch of crap. Bunch and of then Theoid.com is really great, but then when you get to the actual site, and he probably has it on here, or they probably have it on here somewhere. But then when you get to the actual site, you got to dig through all of these hymns to find two flipping words. And so I'm like, one of the things that always so I mentioned syncretism earlier, and that's when they take various depictions of various gods and form them all into one. Which Mm -hmm. for me, obviously, the first horned god that i was exposed to was the devil as always i think that's the mm-hmm. first one that people now now and nowadays are exposed to right the devil then you have what there's Lo, loki is the other one from that'd be norse Nor- mythology mm-hmm. norse that'd be Nor- the nordics but yeah the devil is this this horn thing and one of the things that always stood out to me was moses was the pic? Yeah. Have you have you seen Horn Moses before? Uh, it sounds familiar, but I know you'll have to pull him up. So there was this, this depiction of a horn. I think it was Michelangelo, and the, oh. horn, the bizarre reason Michelangelo has Michelangelo's Moses has horns, and it's literally Moses with freaking horns on his head, and this he's also syncretized from. St. Patrick and some other Haitian serpent god. I forgot the name of it, but I was doing some research on the topic of zombies and Haitian, you know, voodoo and that mythology and cosmology. Oh, yeah, I've seen this image before. Yes, yes. And he's syncretized with a a serpent god, uh, one of their main deities. And I found that interesting because like Moses is one of like the main guys obviously in the Bible and to be depicted as this. I know it's only one reference, one picture, but No, but I mean, so horns are a symbol. Dionysus has horns. Horns have always been a symbol of power, not demonry. So this is what I'm saying. I think that, I mean, both of us were raised Christian, of course. Uh, but um, I, hmm, when did I start seeing horns as not demonic? I don't know. For me, the devil <laughs> never made sense. Let me just tell you. Um, and I just never, I, I guess because I love Greek mythology since I was a kid and Pan mm. had, oh, I knew Pan was always sort of the reference for the devil. Yeah. And Pan was such a fun, loving, albeit kind of sexy, you know, horny, literally, uh, uh, God. And so I guess I always kind of knew that they just adapted him and just mm-hmm. made him into the devil. Mm-hmm. So horns are not representatives of the devil for hmm, many, many millennia. Now, I don't know what Michelangelo might have meant by doing, I don't know if he was making a Dionysian reference. Um, which is also a powerful reference. Oh, I don't know if that's some kind of a secret cultic reference mm. for that statue. Clearly, he's not given him like goat horns in the sense of like those massive horns, uh, like Hellboy. I mean, did I also tell you that Hellboy is my favorite superhero? So, so yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, but now I do. That would make sense, though. <laughs> and I love when he polishes his horns. So it says here. 
even Sigmund Freud, I guess, wrote mm-hmm. about this in nineteen in his nineteen fourteen essay entitled "The Moses of Michelangelo." Sigmund Freud associates mm-hmm. the moment in the biblical narrative when Moses descends from the mountain in the first time, the mountain the first time carrying the tablets and finds the Hebrew people worshiping the golden calf. You describe it in Exodus thirty two. I know you talk about the golden calf as well. Yes. Freud describes Moses in a complex psychological state. And, he, and this is, quote, we may now, I believe, permit ourselves to reap the fruits of our endeavors. We've seen how many of those who have left the influence of the statue have been compelled to interpret as, as representing Moses, agitated by the spectacle of his people fallen from grace and dancing around an idol. But this interpretation had to be given up for it made us expect to see him spring up in the next moment, break the tablets, the tables and accomplishes a work of vengeance. So he's saying that it's because he's fu- he's angry, he's fired up, I guess. So such conception. No, I mean, I, I I like Freud as much as the next guy, but that that's that seems take up weird. Here, for Moses, we have reconstructed. We need a leap or cast the tables from him. What we see before us is not the inception of violent action, but the remains of a movement that's already taken place. It in his first transport of fury, Moses desired to act to spring up and take vengeance and forget the tables. But he has yes. overcome the temptation and he will now remain seated and still in his frozen wrath and his pain mingle with the contempt. So, yeah, he's like interpreting this whole thing. Yeah, as... I mean, I think, OK, so I would lean more towards the sacred bull, right? Dionysus is often seen as a sacred bull. He is uh, a prominent figure in Greco-Roman culture. He has the mm-hmm. same little horns that Moses has here. So there's only a few images of uh, bull Dionysus. I would say maybe that might, because it, those those are what those horns remind. I mean, Michelangelo's statue that we're looking at does not look angry, does not look, there's no rage. Because he he's, <laughs> he's holding it in. He's holding and it in. And as a result, he's got these two little horns coming out. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that's what, it's that's what he's funny. interpreting it as. So... It's- <laughs> You're saying Dion? I can't find Dionysus. Uh, oh, so, the, the the this one is this the one that you're talking about? This Dionysus? Uh, no, that's Zeus. That's Zeus actually. That's Zeus and Moon. So I only found three. Oh wait, uh, does this guy have horns? Uh, scroll down a little bit. There's only like three uh, images I found online. And you know, now that when I go to museums, I'm gonna look more carefully. Um, there's this one saying about finding stuff sometimes online it's unreliable because not everyone mm. takes pictures of all the artifacts and then post them right mm. uh, but Dionysus and the sacred I think somebody on Reddit had put up three images which were really useful of Dionysus and the sacred bull and they're little horns like you can't really even see them at first uh, but that's both a symbol of power and a symbol of sacrifice because remember Dionysus is the Dionysus is really Jesus later on, right? Like Jesus is adapted after Dionysus Whoa. and figures. Because Dionysus dies and is reborn every spring. He's a suffering God. And he's a he's a God that is born uh, of a human woman, obviously. And uh So I did I didn't know that, by the way. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. That. Oh, sorry. Okay, I was taking that for granted a bit. I thought Dionysus would totally so Dionysus is Bacchus for Real Rome's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and he has the main ads, um, and he's a bestie of Pan, right? So, like, you is can see. Is it this see... picture where he's like kind of got like a little? Uh, he, that that works, but that's a that's a painting. So this guy right here on the side, I'm, I'm pointing with my thing, but you can't see. This guy right here in like the beige white, 
No, that one. Yeah. So that one has little uh, horns. Although you have to really, yeah, that one. Although you have to really pull up. I don't know if you can see the little horns. Oh, yeah, yeah I do see them. Yeah, the yeah. Little horns there. Yeah. And so that's why I think in museums, a lot of people miss it. Like, And that would, would that be the, the crown of thorns? Would that kind of sort of be horny kind of, right? I mean, it's thorns. I mean, that's an interesting point one. I never thought about I that. I had no idea that this god, because he's also the god of like wine and drinking and yeah, that's right. the Dionysian. And, and that's you right. have Nietzsche, who was a, who he thought he was Dionysus right. towards the end of his life. Yeah, the Apollonian versus Dionysus debate, Dionysian debate. Yeah, what? that's right. Yeah. That's so wild. Dionysus is actually, a, and he was one of the most popular Greek gods and Roman gods, but he's also a symbol of revolution. Right. Because the Apollonian for Nietzsche is like the strict, legal, yes. rational. Right. So, again, that brings us back to our horn god. No, I, I don't want to call her horn goddess, but our gold goddess. In a sense, the gold goddess is a Dionysian symbol versus the courthouse, which is an Apollonian symbol. Oh, I got you. I got you. See, like that's genius, man. I mean, that's a genius. But another question. Carla, yeah. how many people actually know what the fuck we're talking about right now? But that's my job, you know. <laughs> that's my job, one. I mean, oh, that's yes. why I'm that's here. Right. Uh, I agree with you 100% that the education system, not just in America, but in Canada, um, has failed us in this field. Like, they're not interested in teaching young people symbolisms. Imagine if you were taught symbolism as a child. And if you were taught sort of ancient history, not just Greek myths like, oh, Hercules, uh, I don't know, does this and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's just kind of nonsensical. But like real mythology and the connection, we would be so far ahead right now. And I feel like, especially as a, as a Christian, as a person that was born Catholic, I feel like I had to be ripped out of that tradition. Mm -hmm. That whole thing had to fall apart around me in order for me to look around and go, oh shit, this whole thing was built on thousands of years of history. You know, and this also reminds me of like Hecate and even um, the Statue of Liberty, if we think about it. I mean, those are halos, but that's really interesting. Uh, now, to be fair, in Roman times, this was a way of torture as well. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that into consideration too. Um, but I don't know, symbolically, especially as it's being used in art later, you see, especially the gold one, for example, that's an interesting figure of both pain and knowledge. And Wh which if we one? Were being, this gold one here in the center where he has like a gold, yeah. Right? Like that's, you know, and I guess if we were metaphorical, we could, or poetic, we could say that knowledge is pain. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah, the, the more you know, the more... Yeah, the more you can see, like how this, like this heretical idea of that this could actually be a representation of horns. People are going to love this in the comments. They're like, you. <laughs> I posted a meme of Jesus the other day trying to laugh and got like some hate for it. I'm like, listen, dude, I don't, I'm just here to have interesting conversations. And again, thinking outside the box is part of that. So if you don't like what is said sometimes, I don't know what to say. Just turn it off. We're not forced to yeah. be here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when we take on topics like these, um, they are uh, challenging. Um, and this is what I say to my students, too, where I'm like, you don't have to believe me. I don't have a church. You know, I'm not calling you to my congregation. But I think in having a discussion, we can just really just put out ideas and have these conversations and 
and whatever people take from it, what they want, what fits for them, what works for mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. Um, you know, but I, I do feel like it is kind of my job to break down some of that lack of knowledge. Um, because not not for anything, like not to like stand and beat my drum, but also because that, like that's real history, like ancient history, yes. at least what we know of it. We don't know everything, of course, but what we've got, we we should know. So then I think that opens up our minds more to different options. And, you know, the reason why we went through the dark ages in Europe was because they didn't let anybody get educated. You know, mm-hmm. you couldn't read, you can do nothing. You just went to the church and they told you things and they interpret everything like they spoon fed you right and i don't want us to end up in that something like that ever again where you know and i and even on twitter like the things that you the the things that we were looking at with this gold goddess i felt like a lot of people that were reacting to this goddess had no outside knowledge and so in a in a way i was like if you could just come listen to a few things about history with me maybe you would yeah because and that's part of the design too, because we're we're fueled by headlines, and that's all we're mm-hmm. gonna read. And I I do it too, Carl. I mean, I'll do like a yeah, clickbaity thumbnail to get people's yeah. attention oh. and rile yeah. them up. If they stay for the content, that's a whole different thing. But this is the the society that we're in now, and it seems like even right now, with all the information, with all with all the Wikipedia you could have, people are still <laughs> are still dumb. <laughs> and again, I use Wikipedia because I show people. If you want to find all the cool shit, you're going to have to work for it. Like exactly. all the all the cool homunculus stuff, you're going to have to go look because that's not going to be on Wikipedia. You have to actually go to the sources and, and read a little bit. But yes. I like just because it's, it's, you know, the exoteric, the stuff that's out there. And I'm reading about the the crown of thorns, which apparently there was a fight about that, too, in the church. Like, you know, the different depictions of Jesus. But it's OK. He resurrected. It's OK. We know how it ends. He won. He's the good guy. So <laughs> I don't know why they're all worked up about it, but. Yeah, I think that people are dumber now than they all ever have been since the beginning of time. If you think about that, we have more information at this point in time than we ever did since the beginning of time. How wild is that? But yet people don't take advantage of it and they'd rather sit at home on TikTok scrolling up and down. I, I don't know about you, Carl. I know you do academics for a living, but I my wife was always on my case because she's like, you can never just... What does she say to me? She's like, you can never just, she doesn't say you can never just relax. She has this thing that she always says to me when she sees me listening to some lecture about Plato and his theory of forms or something like that. She, she always like gives me like, you can never just sit down and, and do nothing. I'm like, listen, if I, if I'm at in the bathroom cutting my hair, what am I going to just sit there in, in, the, in the quiet mm, and look at myself in the, <laughs> I'm going to put something on and just listen to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that you say that because when i dye my hair i also watch podcasts or something yeah i mean you have it so if i'm by myself and and that's that that's what i do and i'll think and when i don't have something on i'll think and i can appreciate a good lecture a quality a quality lecture that i'm like damn i know about that and then i just store it away somewhere in the mind palace somewhere yeah. but yeah she and that had, happens that no matter me. what you know one i was part of this webinar with this uh scholar her name is like heidi androgas Anyway, she is like the, I don't know, like for me, she, it, like, if I'm here, she's like here, okay, of like matriarchy and matri lines and blah, blah, blah. And she was going over some artifacts from the museums and talking about like all the research she's done. She's done like 
60 years, 50 years, she's older. She's got like 50 years of research. And she blew my mind. She was like, yeah, so these figures that we think have been blah, blah, blah. Actually, they've been shown now to be this sort of matrilineal mother-daughter relationship. She blew my flipping mind. And I was like, you must, like, there is always more to learn. Like, there is always someone that is doing more research than you. That And so for me, she makes me feel like a student. I'm like, oh, my God. So I bought her book. Her book, okay, it was $130. Why, why yeah. are y'all's books so expensive all the time? Yeah. Mine is cheap. Mine is like $17. Yours is cheap, but I've <laughs> I've bought some. I've had yeah. other professors on. They're like $150, 200 I don't think that's the... I don't... I really don't... I mean, in my experience, lots of props don't actually even get money from their books. But if you're with a big publisher, mm. those guys, they like squeeze. I never bought a book so expensive before in my life. But her work is so foundational I was like, you know what? I'll just spend this money and this book. It's like 580 pages. Mm -hmm. It's like a library of so like a life's work. I was like, yeah, okay. It's going to be totally worth it, you know, for me. Um, But yeah, I mean, so you can, there's always something like you think you've got, okay, I've got a knowledge of this or whatever. And then there's always more. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's not, I think if you're curious and like you're, into that kind of stuff, that's a great passion to have. And I don't expect that everyone does like what we do for it. Not everyone has to be like obsessed with more and more and more discoveries. Mm-hmm. But if people just enjoy like learning a little bit about things, um, yeah, it would make it, I think it would give elite the elite less power. Like I think that the elite want us to believe that there's all these satanic stuff going on and <laughs> have all, you know what I mean? They, they love that kind of uh, distraction for us, that kind of fear, mm. like, That's oh yeah. The division, the division. We are mighty, yeah, you know? Um, and so sometimes I'm like, yeah, you want to keep people as ignorant as possible so and then you can threaten them with some scary beast and mm. be like, Oh yeah, look, the end is nigh and all that shit, you know? So you, you talked about here, you talked about Hathor. Yeah. Which would be, let me pull her up. I just had her here. Hathor, which is the Egyptian. Yeah, she's the mother of the gods, the queen. She's the wife of Ra. So for the, and, and the, 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 the picture on Wikipedia is beautiful. <laughs> you can see, <laughs> you can really see oh, the yeah. horns there. Yes. And, and yes. So you have here obviously horn goddess. And then yeah. I wanted to get your thoughts because to relate it to something more mainstream, then you have okay. here Amun Ra, which I think we already showed. Amun yep. Ra. The. Let's go to Wikipedia. That is the that is the ram god. So there are different kinds of horns. Like ram horns represent a certain kind of power, where cattle horns have other represent. I mean, there's lots of horns. Um, but I'm only ram, getting a, a moon. Why am I only getting a moon? Because a moon is the original, and then later on, I don't know which dynasty he gets blended with Ra, and he what? becomes a Ra. So this is a woman. This is a man. I'm, no, that's a man. Amun yeah. Ra. Oh, Amun Ra is a guy. Okay, I thought it was a god. Thinking of Isis. Isis also has horns. No, because it was on your presentation here. So you have the. I did have a moon, but that's a dude. Oh, then I guess. Yeah. So I did a couple of male gods. Yeah. So that's him. Oh, the king of the gods. Okay, my bad. Yeah. The king of the gods. And then Hawthor is the queen of the gods, although they're not together. Mm. Okay. Um, That was. Yeah. And then Zeus, a moon. 
the one that you had an image of him earlier, which is sort of a human face with the ram horns. Yeah. That's that story with Alexander the Great when he goes to, um, I think, the Nsiwa. Um, yeah, this figure. Also, a very popular figure. That's Zeus. You know, I mean, there's no, de- there's no demonic anything here. Um, it's just... Actually, it's more of a cultural blend here because this figure of Zeus Amun is basically the Greeks and some Egyptian culture blending together. It's basically mm, yeah, syncretism. Yeah, culture. Yeah. yeah. So, because um, I wanted to get your thoughts on because we have the syncretism. We've talked mm-hmm. about a few different horn gods and goddesses, kind of sort of mixed in there, and then. Mm-hmm. What are your ideas on, because I had wrote to you on Instagram, I'm like, oh, I'm surprised you didn't bring up Baphomet, which Baphomet is a really big one that people talk about today, which we know that the original depiction was of Eliphas Levi. Yes. In his, I forgot what book it was, but anyways. The, yes. The, here we go, so the Sabbatic goat from Dogma at Ritual. Yeah. So it was... I don't know the, the name English. English, Anyways, this famous picture yeah. that everybody always attributes to yeah. being the devil. But then you also have it as the statue for the, I think, the Satanic Temple or the Church of Satan. Yep. Either one of the yep. two. Yeah, yeah. And we know that this was also the quote-unquote God that the Templars were accused that they, well... They admitted under torture that they were worshiping this entity, Baphomet or Mahomet yeah. or Muhammad, how some have gone right. down and, and, and interpreted yeah. it as. But this idea of it becoming androgynous, hermaphrodite, so we have both man and female here. And then you yeah. have the chimera as well. You have the goat hoofs yeah. and you have the the you know, as above, so below type of thing. And you got the wings and obviously the horns, which is what are your ideas on it being becoming like this one being good? Would you consider this a goddess or God? It's an it, I guess. I don't know. I I would consider this. So first I consider this fan fiction like this. And by that, when I mean fan fiction, I mean, literally that like there's a main story, like whatever. And then there's fan fiction about it. Um, Because this, as you can see, is a combination of, Pan. This is pretty much Pan, uh, Hermaphrodita, who is the uh, child of uh, Aphrodite and Hermes. Um, and then there's some wings, there's angelic wings and some other symbolism. But it's so late. I mean, it's 1858. I mean, the, to me, this is... To me, yeah. I like that, <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, to me, the devil is fan fiction because it, it's sort of like... The main story, let's say, is whatever it is. It's Greek, it's Roman, it's Sumerian, it's whatever. Go back as far as you want. And then what happens is people take from those stories and they create these uh, figures. And then they go, oh, well, this is a devil figure. And I'm like, well, only because you said so. Mm. Like, only because you made that be. And with the Templars, I mean, they really, I mean, under whenever people say something on the torture, you know, you can't take that. Those guys really fucked it up for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, and then uh, the satanic church takes this as their symbol, which is fine, but it's a modern symbol. So mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. When I was in Salem, there was a satanic church there that I went to visit, but my daughter didn't want to go see it. 
um, I had read great reviews. And I, I'm very curious as to, because I don't know much about satanic worship. I mean, I've kind of skimmed some stuff, but again, to me, that seems like such a new religion. It's such mm -hmm. a new, and it's very reactionary. That is, it's very anti-Christianity. It's very against a lot of what Christianity stands for. And so then to me, I'm like, that's great. Everyone has a right to their own beliefs and everything, but it's not like frightening to me or like anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, and Baphomet, I think there were some figures, which is so funny. There were some figures in some of the witch stores that we went in that were so adorable. They were like, like puppy eyed, cute figures. I don't know if you've ever seen, like yeah. if you Google cute Baphomet, oh my God, it's so cute. That's and a first on like... my show, cute Baphomet. <laughs> I was like, that is so cute. Uh, totally cute. Um, I like the idea that it's a, a, a symbol of harmony. Um, Aww. look how cute, look how cute. A demonic entity, how cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so cute, you know. Um, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's demonic. I don't think the satanic church believes it's demonic. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that the Templars thought it was demonic. So the, the guys that allegedly, yeah, the ones that admitted to it, right? And, right. Th and that's the thing about religion and beliefs. Beliefs are such a powerful thing because... Once they do power that egregore, that thing, that idea, that thought form, yeah, this God in the sky that you've never seen, but you feel him. Some people say they feel him. Some people say that, right? It's such a weird concept. If you really, that's why I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like, why are we even talking about this? Why, why is this amalgamation of symbols put together? trigger people right if you look at that that it had to be that combination that drawing of this figure that triggered people it had to be this combination right this <laughs> oh man this well, thing okay, okay, but i think also that people in the 1800s again weren't nobody knew who pan was back then more or less so i think it's a frightening figure let's say it looks unnatural. Like half goat, half man is always going to be passed around as unnatural, right? Mm -hmm. So the minute you say, oh, this is an unnatural, and then it has breasts or something, right? And then you're like, oh my God, look at this figure. It is a monster. And then you had the likes of Aleister Crowley that were doing hymns to Pan. They were worshiping Pan, Eo Pan. You had Parsons, the father of modern day rocketry, doing the hymn to Pan every time they would go launch a rocket into space. So... Yeah, that's but that's what fueled occultism in the you know the 19th 20th century the, er, the the early stuff. These guys were worshiping these entities, so they knew probably the the esoteric meanings of them. I don't know. I mean, I think it's fine to worship Pan because Pan is a god of wilderness. Like he is, so he is a god of like wild. Like he's supposed to represent sort of male, mostly male wild wilderness. So like you know how the Greeks were big like on rational city life, mm -hmm. and Pan mm -hmm. represented sort of their wildness. You know what's in what's in a man that's like wild, like sex and running in the woods and hunting and stuff like that. I don't think there was anything in, in the original worship of Pan. There was absolutely nothing demonic or evil about him. He was like really actually more like a, a teenage child mm. just loose in the wild right now these people that you're mentioning that said the hymn to pan for different reasons i don't know what they understood or interpreted that as so if they interpret it as a demonic ritual 
that's their problem. Like that's their, that's, <laughs> that's their ignorance. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like, well, then you didn't really look up your Greek history because it's really just right there. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing demonic about Pan at all. And so then, like you say, people take something, then they use it in the way that they, let's say, want to. Then they say, well, this is demonic, or maybe they themselves are evil people. And then everyone around is going, oh, well, let's say this bad person mm-hmm. did this bad thing and they used Pan. Yeah. And all of a sudden we have this poor, ancient, frolicking god becoming the devil like this poor pan yeah poor pan you know like he never hurt a soul you know he's famous for chasing around nymphs and trying to you know seduce them and things like that and chasing butterflies and shit like yeah he's in he's the guy in hercules right the little yeah 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 and so now he's become people have taken his story and made him into this red figured devil with a Mm. trident right um so, I mean, to be fair, it's been 2,000 years of of re-adapting and remodifying a figure. So, yeah, the elite, perhaps, and those who could read and those who are educated could manipulate information yeah. to scare everyone, right? I, I think that once they realized how powerful and how much control that religion could have over its people... And don't get me wrong, because I think that religion serves its purpose and I think it mm-hmm. gives structure to a society. So I think that's also part of it. But I think more of the power aspect yeah. of it, of having, you know, people bend. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm I'm your God or I'm your king. And other things to say, hey, God appointed me to be your king. Oh, man, are you, are you for real? He's like, yeah, I talked to him last night. He told me he's like, oh, really? Yeah. So just trust me, bro. I think that that rings a little bit differently. So. I think with that, but then you have this this deforming of these symbols and it goes back to whoever doesn't stand with me is against me type of thing, mm-hmm. type of mentality. And yeah. I do think that religion serves its purpose for people. I think it's a good thing for people to have this structure, even if it is worshiping Pan or worshiping the spaghetti yeah. monster, whatever it is, as long right. as, again, you don't overstep your boundaries and respect other people's spaces, right? And stay in your mm-hmm. lane type of thing. Respect, respect, and, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this idea of them taking these symbols and perverting them because they were of the opposing faction, of the opposing religion, et cetera. So I think that's also another big part of it. And I think that's yeah. why we're here today. And I don't think we're more accepting today than we were back then to be hundred percent with you. Well, that takes us back to the beginning where we were looking at the tweets and stuff. Like it's uh, the, exactly the, the minute we see something that seems to us unnatural or unknown or whatever we associate with something that's like monstrous, we automatically assume it's evil when we know that actually the greatest monsters in history are actually just good looking men. You know, I mean, if you think about serial killers, if you think about uh, school shooters, if you think about like, you know, monsters, like monstrous acts, these are not, you know, these are not like half goat, half men running around, you know, that we could easily go, oh, that's a monster and avoid. And so it's kind of fascinating to me how human beings, even today, continue to be more afraid of a visual aspect rather than like a person's... Um, I don't know, motivation or like, I don't know how to explain. Like if we're walking down the street and you see a monster, you're going to scream and run. If you're walking down the street and you see a good looking white dude, 
you don't think serial killer. I mean, I do now because <laughs> Jeffrey, so Do Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> I do, right? Like I do, I do think that, right? But, um, but we have this sort of like we're very visual, and I think that's used against us sometimes, um, because it's like, oh, look, something scary, and we go, oh yeah, that's really scary, and we don't, you know, we react. But actually, the those that really have screwed us, even like we were talking about in 2020, and with all these other those people that really screw us, the elites. They tend to be wealthy, good-looking folks, right? They come yes. out in their business suits, Elizabeth right? people, yeah. Right, you know? <laughs> and so and so I find that fascinating sometimes that the, the immediate reaction to something that sort of looks a little scary is like, oh, demonic. Mm. And I'm like, dude, like the demon is probably the dude standing next to you, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and one thing that I didn't know that we can that we can wrap up on is the idea that Santa's reindeers yes. were <laughs> female, female, which I did not know that. That's yes. very interesting. Yes. Yes. To be fair with you, you know, I did um, some of the research I'm doing is on the deer goddess and the antler goddess, because there's a whole Celtic tradition of deer goddesses and, and antler goddesses. And that's when I actually came across it. Um, Cause when you Google like antler goddess or antler God, sometimes the reindeer come up and I didn't know either. Like until like a few months ago, I didn't know that uh, Santa's reindeers are all girls, all girls. Could you imagine? Um, because the male reindeer shed their things before December. Is Sir Nuno's, is that a male or female? Yeah. So Sir Nuno's again is a Celtic god um, of like the wilderness and green and spring god. Like see him with the deer here and with the dog, a snake. Very powerful god. In the in some of the early stories, he is the consort of Mother Earth. So together, you know, they give birth to spring. Uh, but again, a very gentle male god. Nothing demonic about this god. Often celebrated in the forests. Um, dancing, singing, drinking, all good times. Absolutely nothing demonic about this dude. Um, and there's some really modern, great art of him where he's like literally like a beautiful guy with some horns and some green hair. Uh, but again, like, you know, I don't know how many people Google him and know about him. Well, people again, people know about CERN because of yes. CERN, which right. is also linked to demonic stuff, which they think that they're right? trying to open up portals to other dimensions, yes. which... I, you see, I how, believe. You see how they take something and then they manipulate the language around it. But I believe this too, Carla, is the problem. <laughs> In the CERN? I, yeah, I believe. So my, per, oh, so CERN, I think that at CERN in, so I think yeah. Switzerland, the I think that they're trying yeah. to do some hoodoo, black magic, dark arts type shit, where I think that they're trying to get in contact with things on the other so my whole thing carla is i think that the elites are trying to they're either being guided by forces on the other side that don't have our best interest at heart that's my whole thing like you think so i so i agree with you but i disagree so i agree with you that they are trying to crack portals yes and trying to 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 do things but i see it more like hubris i see it more like a scientific mm. hubris or, you know, the things they don't tell us, like how many people they've cloned and all that shit, which I think is very possible. Yeah. But I don't see it as dark magic. I see it like as greed and hubris mm. and like trying to be God. Yeah. They just can't stop themselves from destroying all this stuff we have. Yeah. 
that they can reach the next, uh, I don't know, portal to some other dimension. So I agree with you uh, in that way. I just, I don't see it as dark magic, but like I said, like really humanity is the darkness for me. Like, I don't think we need demons to come into this space because we are, or some of us are so flipping greedy and yeah. like cruel uh, and ambitious. So yeah, I do think that they are messing with stuff. What is it going to be? Is there something on the other side? Of course there is. Mm -hmm. Of course there's multiple dimensions. Of course there's multiple universes. Like how can we think we're alone? Like that's silly. And um, a question for you that since you're, I know you're an Artemis expert, but yeah, that's, you know, it's Greek, Roman, et cetera, all that area mm -hmm. there. You kind of, I know you brush up against other things. What, what was the, because you ask, what's the point? Well, I think that the point is, again, achieving that next level, getting to the Godhead or becoming that Godhead. Yeah. What were some of the benefits of the worship of these certain gods back then? What would they receive by worshiping this guy if they received anything at all? What, what the same things, I think, from that we look for today. So uh, wealth, success, um making it into the afterlife and having something good in the afterlife, honor, that kind of stuff. Uh, depending on which time period we're looking at and depending on like the value of honor, there was times where like the line, you know, in your father's line, for example, was very honorable. And so people prayed and sacrificed to the gods for the same things, blessing them with success in war, success in wealth. So I don't think that the asking for has changed. I think humans have always asked the divine for whatever makes them survive. But I think the greed has changed. Like now it's not enough that I have a farm or a village or whatever. Now I want to break the universe and step onto and perhaps become a God myself. Right. Um, and perhaps even in the ancient world, because that's why we have the word hubris, even then probably there was a few people who reached out beyond what they should have reached out. Um, but the level of greed right now and the level of, we have a word in Romania, I don't know what the word would be in, in English, but like having no shame for like the amount of greed and destruction that you're just, just like blatantly putting it out there that you're just the greediest like jerk on the planet and just being like, yeah, I don't care. I find that like mind boggling because you would think there'd be a revolution and yet They've got us in a place where, you know, I guess they've turned conspiracy theory into a bad word, right? And then as soon as you're a conspiracy theorist, you're dismissed. Uh, so they've got us in a, they've, they've really used psychology, speaking of Freud, they've really used psychology uh, to all their power to create, like, I don't know, this world. Even in the old days, like, one, like, if a king was too hubric hubritical, if that's a word, that's not a word, there would be a revolution. People would revolt. You know, people could only take so much, right? And we have revolutions in history. But now, I don't know. It seems like people are just taking a lot of shit, you know? Do you think that the that the God dedicated to, Tr Tr what's his name, Trudeau? Do you think it would have yeah. horns? Trudeau. Oh God, don't get me started on Trudeau. You know how many Canadians, I can't even, we can't even get into politics around Canada because there's so many Canadians that I are, have a lot of, I have a lot of listeners in Canada and I have friends in Canada and it seems like it's a shithole, but they don't do anything about it. 
it is a shithole. And I, and I mean, and I, and I say that as a person who loved this country for a long time and escaped this country from a really terrible place. But the, since this guy has come to power, it has become, yeah, a shithole. Um, and, and yet Canadians, I mean, I can't even get started. I usually use Americans as an example to say at least Americans <laughs> stand the chance of revolution. You know, the government's still a little afraid of them. Who's afraid of Canadians? Nobody, nobody, because, well, we have, we have a lot of our own problems societally. And so, um, and so, yeah, I don't know what God Trudeau prays to. <sighs> but I love um, Canadians. Canadians are awesome. So. Yeah. I think as a people, we're fantastic, but just our country is going to shit and we're overwork and we're the whole world is, but especially for us, it's like when I talk to some, like, when I went down to Arizona and I was talking to some of the people there about the stuff that we have to pay for and things we have to go through, they're like, oh, okay, so maybe it's not the way we thought it was. I'm like, no. Mm. So I don't know because, you know, a lot of people say that Trudeau has sold our country to different places. A lot of people say. So there's a lot of stuff at the top. Same here as probably is in the States that's going on with yeah. the elites. Yeah. Same shit, you know. Um, it's just that I think... Americans maybe talk more about conspiracy and these things than Canadians do. Like, I don't know. I don't know the numbers on that, but yeah, no, um, most definitely. But I have a lot of people in Canada that I know that are pretty aware yeah. of what's happening and hopefully, yeah. I don't know, hopefully it hopefully. gets better. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. So this is what I mean. Like I like things that are revolutionary. I mean, I'm a bit of an anarchist myself. Right. And so I'm not a big fan of governments you know, overall, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, or like church leaders or like the hierarchy, you know, with the person at the top. Right. So I'm like, yeah, let's just burn it all down. Let's start over. Let's go back to off grid ways of living, you know? So I have those kind of moments, but, um, but I don't know. I don't know where that. Yeah. Leads. So hopefully people understand the, the horned, I know there's, there's going to be a lot of, <laughs> hopefully they understand the horned goddess a little bit better. And, you know, I think if people have questions or examples or other things that come up, you know, we could meet again and maybe even go over some of their comments and maybe even answer some of their questions. Like one of my favorite things is like, the, like when I'm teaching is to have students like actually ask me things like not that these people are our students, but they're if they're enjoying it and they want to talk about things. It'd be interesting because how do you know what, how people see something until they tell you? Yeah. Right. Because art is subjective i mean as we right. saw at the beginning you think right. it's beautiful i think it's i think it's kind of weird i think it's pretty weird so <laughs> art is definitely subjective yeah so so hopefully hopefully we've given some different takes on it you know um because that was my thing when i saw it i really wanted to go see it for myself mm -hmm. i was so fascinated by it and i just love gold anyways like gold is so beautiful and it's smooth. Anyways, I, I could talk about it for a bit. And, you know, she's like pretty. She's really pretty. So anyways, and people are like, oh, yeah, well, the, the devil comes in uh, like beautiful forms. Yeah. And I'm like, everyone has um, has something to say to everything you say. We did that episode in God We Trust, but I put which gods, you know, it's, that's, that's the right. other thing because we don't really know. And again, it could be this whole thing to lure you in. And then once you're in, it's like, no, we met, we meant something completely different and you don't really know. So that's right. That's right. That's right. But I lean, I like, I tend to trust ancient worship a bit more. Like I think having grown up in the church and feeling a bit betrayed and feeling a bit lied to after doing scripture work and 
doing all this work and historical work, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like the farther back I go, the more trust, not, I mean, trust is a weird word, but maybe the more authentic it feels, you know, the more natural yeah. it feels, you know? Yeah. No, I, I get yeah. exactly what you mean. Cause it's unfiltered. It's not, it's yeah. not, there, there wasn't so much pressure. Yeah. And there. so much politics, I guess, you yeah. know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Carla, you're great as always. And <laughs> Everyone, make sure to sub to her YouTube channel. Yeah. I'll post the link in the description. Also, check out her book. Read it. It's awesome. I got a copy. And we'll do this again soon, Carla, and we'll, we'll pick another topic. I know you're always working on a whole bunch of great things, and you do great lectures. So, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to leave my listeners with? And Because you're, you're a crowd favorite. People love you. I, I get people oh. all the time in the comments, oh, I love Carla so much. She's awesome. And I love that. Yeah. I have to say that doing this with you and sometimes with Gabe is my favorite thing because it's it's something that's sort of outside what I normally do, which is a, a bit more academic. Um, and I love, love talking to you guys. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing whatever comes up next that we're interested in that we're like, oh, this looks cool. Let's talk yeah. about this. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, do you want to plug anything else that I missed? Uh, the only do? other thing that I have actually that's coming up is the, you know, the Artemis Center has a bunch of goddess basic courses. I don't know if your listeners are into. So one of my things, one, and actually this ties into what we're talking about is like, you know how we can't find anything online and all that kind of stuff. So what I want to do is I want to do like, and what I'm doing, I'm putting together is like short basic courses on like primary source. And so I'm going to do like 10 goddesses and I've got like 10 like short courses uh, that you get through the Artemis Center that you can sign up for. And you get like primary text analysis. So like if you want to know about a goddess like Hecate and you're going on Google and all you're seeing is some, you can't mm. find that quote, which by the way, I found that quote for the horned goddess. Oh, you did? Um, yeah. Then you could take a course where you know, okay, this person has given you primary sources and I have a little better understanding or foundation for this goddess. So I've decided to do that and put it out there. And so, yeah. So the Artemis Center teaches courses on basic, basic goddess courses and god courses. And where can people go to see that? Uh, just at the artemisresearchcenter.com. Okay, and send me that yeah. link. And also, do you have you translated stuff before, Carla? I have translated stuff for my PhD. Yes, from like you mean from Greek to English. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Do you know anybody who translates Latin? I do know Latin teachers. I don't know if they would translate for a living mm. uh, in the sense of like you have to ask them because sometimes the project themselves depend. So a lot of like Latin teachers, if they're not an expert in the f in the, the field that the project is in, sometimes they might not feel comfortable. Yeah. Because you have to have context. Because yeah. the reason I say that is because because you're talking about primary sources, which is something I love too, right? The, the, yeah. Straight to the to the root. And, you know, you can develop your own idea or thesis from that. That's right. Which is fine because whenever I hear something crazy that sounds amazing, like and whatever, whatever thing, right, like etc., whatever topic, but then you can't trace back to where that person might have gotten that, and they made it seem like it was written in stone somewhere, right? But I can't repeat that or I can't use that unless I know exactly where it's coming from because then you're just going to be a crazy person. But right. then the, the issue with that is what if it's something that needs to be translated? Because I don't know any other language other than Spanish and I could translate Spanish, but I can't translate Greek or Latin or German or anything else unless I either know somebody. But I think the technology has gotten good enough to where you can plug something into Google. And I think Google does a pretty decent job as far as that goes. 
I think so. I mean, so for primary sources, for example, in Greek or even the primary source in Latin, like Pliny or Cicero or whatever, I think they've been translated so much that there is a trust factor there that this is a correct translation. Okay. You know I what I mean? You. And so I think the a lot of it is accepted by academics across the board for the last, let's say, 50 years, 100 years. Not to say that it's perfect, because there's sometimes people that are like, oh, this word could be used this way or whatever. Um, so I think some of those early primary texts, if they're in English, but they're popular, like even Plato or whatever, they've been translated so much and it says pretty much the same thing that you have a level of trust there. But I think some other maybe more occult stuff or maybe other stuff, um, it depends then. Then you got to kind of figure out who is the translator and then it's up to you whether you, you trust to, that translator yeah. If you want to use it or not. It yourself too. But it is important to have some context. Like you have to know what a sword meant like or sounded like in ancient Greek. And I don't know, there's some context around how things were used. So you do sometimes have to, like if you just get a sentence or a paragraph translated, sometimes that doesn't tell you much more than if you read it in English and in a book. You know mm. what I mean? Like you don't learn much more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, there are there. I mean, I do know some translators, but I think that's what they want to know is like, what is it that they want me to translate? Because sometimes if the context is off, I'm not 100 percent sure I can do it accurately. What, but, the, what did they teach us in school? I mean, at least I remember uh, context clues. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, figuring out what the word meant by what's around it. type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah. So that so you got to do a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, I do think that the Google translator is not terrible. Um, if you just have like a paragraph, yeah. you have a book, well, then you're in more trouble. Yeah, That's a whole different thing. I just, I just, I was curious cause I know you do research and you've done research and obviously it needs to be held at a, to a higher standard than just regular old me who's doing presentations for, for people yeah. listening to the podcast. But I do appreciate a good source and a good place where if people do ask, which they do, I can lead them that way, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I said Wikipedia is great for the superficial stuff. Anything yeah. more esoteric, more occulted, you know, hidden is what I mean by that. And yeah. not so much hidden, just you need to look for it and know where to look for it. You know, it gets a little bit muddied sometimes. So, but yeah. this was great, Carla. I had a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to the next one. Sounds good. All right. Talk soon. <laughs>